0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash SlashFilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to SlashFilm Daily for Tuesday, March 8th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Matt Reeves' newest movie, The Batman. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by slash Film editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Why, Trenbui.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: And Chris Evangelista. Hi. <laughs> All right, Chris, that's the energy that I love to hear as we get into a full on bat yeah, discussion
1: here. Come on, here.
2: let's
0: go. Let's pick it up.
1: Batman <laughs> time. Batman
2: time. Everyone, everyone get excited. You know, HG- um, I
3: need to hear you do your best Michael Giacchino organ sound right now.
0: <laughs> yes. Put that I wasn't back singing the
1: Batman theme while I was sitting down to record this.
0: <laughs> okay well uh guys it's it's uh we're living in a um a post the batman world now and so we're just going to do a full-on spoiler conversation here so if you've not seen the movie uh navigate away from your device now and um th- this is your final warning so let's just start off by going around the circle and just getting general thoughts about the film before we get into anything you know too specific uh jacob i want to start with you what do you think about this film
3: uh i'm gonna say this in a kind of an abstract way um I have in my head a vision of what my perfect ideal Batman movie is. Like the one that if you can pull it out of my brain space, what it would look like. And it does not look like Matt Reeves is a Batman. But watching the Batman, you get the impression that this is exactly the dream Batman that was that was existing in Matt Reeves' head, and he fully realized it, and Warner Brothers said yes to him making a slow-burn noir mystery movie starring Batman with only like two action scenes. This is the Blade Runner 2049 of superhero movies, and man,
0: I love it. Awesome. Uh, HT, what did you think about this?
1: I love the Batman. I have been singularly obsessed with it ever since I watched it. I just love how uh, unapologetic, unapologetic noir and grim and grungy it is while still not at all being grounded. I feel like there's a lot of uh, misconception between like dark and gritty and that being grounded. And I don't think that's the case at all here. It's so mythic and operatic, um, while giving us those dark tones that we expect with the Batman movie. Um, and it's it's just it's wonderful. <laughs> um, I'm yeah, I, I feel like I've I've talked about it a lot, but I've had trouble in particular articulating exactly why I love this, but um, it's just, it's so heightened and incredible.
0: Chris, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I too liked the Batman a lot. Um, uh, I went into it somewhat skeptical, even though I really liked the trailers. I went into it skeptical just because, you know, it just felt like, oh God, do we need like another one of another Batman movie? And I'm not even, you know, I'm not even anti Batman. Uh, I'm I'm not big on most comic book things, but I've I've always really enjoyed Batman um comics and, and the movie. I love the Batman movies. I, I you know, I, I I'm a Batman fan, but I also sort of went into this like, I don't know. I don't know if we need yet another new Batman and new Gotham and all this stuff, but uh like literally like three or four minutes into this movie, I was like, oh, all right, this is going to be frigging great. And it was, it was just, just a wonderful uh, moody uh, expertly made really well acted movie. And it just, it. Fe- I, I I know this feels like a derogatory thing to say, but it feels like a real movie for lack of a better phrase. Like, look, I, I know the Marvel movies are fun and I, I can have fun watching them, but Every time I'm watching a Marvel movie, especially recently, they all feel sort of like the same to me. They're all just sort of blending together and they're all selling the same thing, which is watch, our, watch the next Marvel thing. And this mm-hmm. just felt like its own. It felt like a real movie. And I was like, damn, this is a really damn good movie that just happens to be a Batman movie.
0: Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I think I think that's like a big part of it. It it's a subtle thing, but uh but I think that's a big part of the reason why I like the movie a lot too cuz it really does feel like it's a self-contained thing. It feels like if Matt Reeves never makes another one of these movies, uh if nobody else sort of takes the baton from him, then I have I'm like satisfied with the experience of this film. It's not like uh there are no narrative uh ends that are left dangling in such an obnoxious way that makes me feel like I'm um I I didn't have like a a full complete experience. So um, I also I mentioned this in our Slack channel earlier uh, where I said that I I really loved the fact that I didn't really um, get the sense of much product placement in this movie, which is like another thing that shouldn't really be a big deal. I'm bombarded with it as we all are 24 hours a day at this point, especially in mainstream blockbuster stuff, but just the absence of it. Uh, stood out a lot to me in a great way. And Chris, you were joking about how, like, yes, Batman does not go go into a Walmart like in uh, in Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> and there's um, like a
2: like a minute long lingering shot of the Walmart sign. Like, all right, we get. Yeah, it. and you know, I, oh, I, guess, I, is... I guess
3: I guess I'm confused because I, you guys, your your cut, your screening didn't have the scene where Batman eats
0: the bat calzone, very south <laughs> on a rooftop, the Calzone, whatever, the uh,
1: calzone that looks yeah. like a bat. Oh.
0: Uh, but yeah, I just I love that. Um, um, and, and I guess it's just, it, it comes down to Matt Reeves' uh, vision of Gotham, right? Like we've seen Gotham City in so many different um, iterations over the years. But this version of Gotham, I love just like the, the uh, that sort of rain-soaked vibe of this whole thing and that how it just sort of feels like it's different than just the the Christopher Nolan, like, oh, this is clearly Chicago or whatever. It, yeah. it sort of has this really cool blend of a bunch of different locations and it all like comes together and feels coherent in a way that a lot of the other um, Gotham's kind of haven't. Um, and, and even like the, the Joel Schumacher stuff where it's just like, you know, there's, there's 12,000 foot buildings of like giant observatories and like huge nude statues (laughs) and like, just like total uh, utter insanity. Um, this, this actually feels like a, a, uh, a real city in a way that, um, that a lot of the other uh, Gothams have not. So I, I think all of that sort of uh, helps to prop up this movie and support it and ground it in a really, really uh, cool way. It yeah, really talk feels about, like to- hell
1: on earth because yeah. there's, so many th- there's so many jokes made about how Gotham is, seems like a horrible place to live because of all of the vigilantes and rogues running around blowing up the city half the time. And sometimes that's kind of brushed off uh, because the Christopher Nolan movies, for example, are trying for that grounded approach where this is the stuff that's kind of happening in the background and uh, is part of like the whole – texture of the city, or it's just at the forefront and everyone just accepts it as it is in the Schumacher movies. And here it's just kind of, it's part of that daily life and that daily grind, but it still feels like it's become part of the city's rot. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I know
3: they filmed it in a combination of different locations, including uh, Scotland and London sound stages and whatnot. But I think that the combination of this sort of New York metropolis style city with the cobblestones and cemeteries and old architecture of, you know, Edinburgh Uh thing to Gotham. I think is really unique and is unlike the Christopher Nolan um, Gotham, which was hyper-modern and very realistic. The Tim Burton ba- uh, Batman Go- Gotham, which was, you know, stylized to the point of it being a German expressionist nightmare. What Matt Reeves has built here is a a city that feels old, a city that is so old it's starting to rot and fall apart, where these skyscrapers loom above slums, where, you know, the alleys amidst glitz and glamour, everything feels like it's been there for a long time. There's so many cobblestone streets that, like, turn into regular streets, which is, mm-hmm. if, you've, if you've ever been to London, you know, it, it, it's a sign of a city that's been there for a long time. And Gotham feels like an American city that's probably been there for You know, centuries, Uh, and there's there's like, you know, discussions about, you know, how the Wayne family, the Arkham family have been around for so long, you get the impression that this is just an early America, old money city that's on its last legs and can't sustain itself anymore. It it is all in the background. The movie never pauses to say this. This, This is just production design and cinematography. It is incredible world building.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the, I know that Matt Reeves, um, shot in the volume for some of this. And I, I remember like reporting about that or, or, you know, I don't know if I wrote the article, but I think Slashfilm published something about that like a long time ago, you know, a year or two ago when that, when they were in production or something. And I completely forgot about it when watching the movie, because everything just feels so natural. And I heard Matt Reeves on another podcast talk about like, um, the scene where basically they're standing up where the, uh, the bat signal is posted in that sort of abandoned, super tall abandoned building, and um, there's that scene where Batman and Catwoman are like standing out there, and the sun is setting in the background. Like all of that was shot in the in the volume, the, the sort of same technology where they use the uh, where they shoot the the new Star Wars stuff. So um, all that looked really great. I thought. I mean, I couldn't really tell the difference there. So. Uh, I just thought was a fun little piece of trivia or something. But um, all right, let's talk about some things that didn't work for us. Were there any things that did not work in this movie for you guys? Uh, let's go reverse back around in the circle. Uh, Chris, let's start with you.
2: Uh, you know, I really don't have much. Um, I know a lot of people might have an issue with the film's runtime, but honestly, it, it kind of flew by for me. I, the like The only thing I had a real big problem with, and it's like a small nitpicky thing, but there's this like part in the middle of the movie where one of the Riddler's clues is, is uh it basically trained. It's like a, it's in Spanish, but it translates to uh rat with wings and neither Batman nor Gordon immediately are like, Oh, like a bat. They're like, they're like, what could this be? And Batman's like, <laughs> yes. it could be a falcon. And it's like, come on, man. When you hear, <laughs> like when you hear rat with wings, you immediately think bat It's like the, like even other Batman movies, like Batman returns the penguin says the bats with wings do your thing like there's a whole th- like it's <laughs> literally the first... And, ne- and neither Batman nor Gordon make that connection and i'm just like how come like are, i don't understand why they wouldn't like immediately be like oh like a bat like but really that was the only thing that really stood out that bothered me other than that um i do think the movie is a little too derivative of other movies like the whole this whole movie is is Matt Reeves being like pulling from different influences and that's great. You know, all movies steal from other movies, but there's a scene where uh, they're looking through like the Riddler's journals after they find his apartment. And they're like, that's Mm -hmm. literally lifted right out of seven, like to the point where it's like, except like, and like, I know the whole movie is inspired by seven, but that scene is literally in seven and like (laughs) stuff like that. Every now and then I was like, this is a little too like derivative Matt Reeves, but like, those are like very minor things in, in, the overall movie for me like they did they weren't enough for me to be like the hell with this movie they were just they they took me out of the movie like briefly
0: yeah you you mentioned before i saw the film like you might want to watch seven again before you <laughs> before you watch this and i think hd and i both did and i was really glad that actually hd i think you saw the batman before seven is that right did i get the time yeah right i saw on the that? batman
1: okay. before i mean i'd seen seven before but it was a long time ago so i decided yeah. to rewatch seven afterwards and i'm like wow it really is just yeah. seven.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was very glad that I, I watched it beforehand because it's like it's so clear. I mean, even down to like some of the, the language that the Riddler uses at the very end of the movie where he's just, that you know, in that sort of like interrogation scene or whatever. It's like it's almost exactly word for word some of the stuff that Kevin Spacey's character says in Seven. So, um, OK, H.J., anything uh, in particular stood out that stood out to you that, that didn't really work as well for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I want to address some of the criticisms that I've been hearing around the online blogosphere because uh, upon watching the movie the first time, I didn't really see any of these at all. And I honestly don't understand a lot of people's criticisms still. Uh, most of, the, of them criticizing the um, derivativeness of the film, which I don't really have much of a problem with. I think that all movies borrow from other movies. There's nothing original anymore anyways. And I think if you do it well and with the vision that Matt Reese has, then you can have, you can add so much more texture and just so much more oomph to a movie uh where everything is so samey nowadays especially in superhero cinema and matt reeves does something he 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 may use something he may borrow from things uh that have done it before but that he that he adds to uh, a batman movie with these things that we've seen in seven that with the things that we've seen in in clute or something i think it's it's it is a such a refreshing way of remixing uh, these this kind of visual language and um, making it just uh, more just giving us something more to see on a, in a Batman movie. Uh, plot wise, I know a lot of people have a, had criticism about the plot, um, and I don't actually. I think that the two like big parts of this movie, the the big sort of mystery, I actually I really enjoy how that kind of weaves through the. Um, the entire film, and you have you see Batman kind of come to terms with the fact that he has connections to this rot that he is fighting, and um, this corruption that he has been trying to cut off uh, you now at the at the edges, but um, having trouble to get to the center of it, and, and realizing that he's basically part of the problem, uh, which I think is, or at least has ties to that part of the problem, which I think is just mm-hmm. such an interesting way of really. Um, Sort of tackling what a lot of people have had have criticized about Batman before is that why doesn't he do anything as a, a very privileged billionaire person um, as he is and I think that it really takes him to task for that in a, a very fat really exciting way um, and then the third act which I think a lot of people have talked about in terms of just like not fitting or being an extra thing I think it all brings it home honestly because the Batman um In this case, it's about a lone figure trying to be the one stone turning the tide um, by himself. And the movie is about him realizing that he can't do this, that he can't just change an entire way of life, an entire city all in his lonesome, and that he he can't just – divert the water but that he has to lead people Uh, and I think that that final act really brings it all home and I I think it's incredible it's such a bleak nihilistic film up until that third act which really hammers in that message of hope which is something I'm always a sucker for so uh, uh, I just turned this into another why I love the Batman Um, (laughs) anyways uh, criticisms I did notice my second watch time my second time around watching this movie it did lag a a little bit in the middle and I think that the runtime did sort of get to me when I watched it again but other than that that's all I have sorry I just totally took this in another direction
0: (laughs) no that's fine Uh, Jacob what about you Uh, Well,
3: you can cut this part out if you want to but you can leave it in so people can understand how ragtag our operation is but of course we subway to record this Batman episode as huge Dune 2 news breaks Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. what's uh, happening Florence Pugh joins Dune 2
0: holy shit wow (laughs) amazing
3: (laughs) so yeah you can cut this part out or leave it, I don't care. Uh, stuff I do not like about the Batman. I think that the little quibbles that everybody else has mentioned so far are um, pretty much it. This is not a case where I'm going to say this is a perfect movie, but I really don't have issues with the Batman. I think it's such a such a superbly constructed, well-thought-through, and uh, consistent thing. It, it, it is a movie that feels complete every little bit of it feels like it has an issue even so it that doesn't have like the, the glaring issues you'd see in like a major blockbuster uh even the stuff that people can com- complain about um that is a, is a rightful complaint like uh gordon and bruce wayne not really understanding spanish particularly well or, or understanding the rat reference is worth it for uh colin farrell's gruff you know uh uh, Italian American gangster to correct Batman on his Spanish. <laughs> that little bit makes it worth it for me. But I like HT. I want to um, confront something I think people complain about and say why I, I think it's actually good. Uh, which is the third act, which is everything after the Riddler is captured and he, and his his plan goes to effect, the flooding of the city and his 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 uh followers uh taking you know sniper positions in the in the stadium. I just. People, I I, like I'm temporarily off social media, so I haven't seen a specific complaints. So maybe I'm off base here, but I just feel like in the year 2022, we have a subplot where a crumbling city that <laughs> can't sustain its infrastructure anymore is flooded by a natural disaster. Uh, as the corrupt institution can't do anything about it because it's too interested in itself to take care of it, while the villain. A fringe lunatic with online followers sends armed men, active shooters, into a crowd of innocent people. And in this situation, we have a hero who, in the midst of all this, must put himself between innocent people and armed maniacs. That, to me, is the most relevant a superhero movie has ever been since The Dark Knight, which is a film about the war on terror. Yeah, you
2: know... Sorry, God.
3: No, I I just think that 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 third act is... Striking and personal, and about something in a way that most movies aren't, even especially superhero movies. Please go ahead, Chris.
1: A New York disaster movie. And I think that's it really evokes that in a really powerful and impactful way. And go ahead, Chris.
3: No, yeah. I
2: I said this in my review. And I I mean, obviously, this is also because this is like the first big new movie I've seen uh, in a while. And also, but like when that whole ending was unfolding, like this was the first time I, I watched a movie after the aftermath of. Uh, you know, the the Capitol riot, where I was immediately like the first thing that came to my mind was the Capitol riot, because that whole thing is set in the aftermath of an election. And the whole thing is about, you know, just just basically stopping these people celebrating an election and, and so forth. And and just I was and like, obviously, the screenplay was written before that. And they shot pretty much most of the movie before that happened. So I doubt it was like intentional, but. I just thought it was interesting that it's like we've entered this period now. It was kind of like after 9/11, how, anytime there was a disaster movie you immediately think, "Oh, that like 9/11." And now it's mm-hmm. like anytime I'm going to see a big like riot scene involving uh, politics now, I'm immediately going to be like, "Oh, like the Capitol riot." And it's mm-hmm. like this was like the first time I had seen something that immediately like immediately just like triggered that thought in my mind. And I was like, that's just so it's just so weird how that that happens basically. How, you know, that 9/11 thing happened where the minute you start seeing movies where buildings are falling down after 9-11 you just can't separate them from that real event
3: yeah isn't that like isn't that's such a unique thing because as you said this is you know written and mostly filmed before the Capitol riots and yet matt reeves clearly had the anxieties that we we're you all of us on this podcast are feeling in his brain he clearly thought man things are bad right now and it is wild that that happened that The movie captures that you the the unique, you know, COVID pandemic, uh post-Trump, uh during Trump uh era chaos. Uh it's clearly infused in this movie. And Christopher Nolan did those Batman movies as well. I mean, I don't like Dark Knight Rises, but that movie is has a lot on its mind in terms of what it's about. And it just it really Makes you realize just, like, I love Marvel, but Marvel movies really aren't about anything. They're about being entertaining.
1: So. Wow, what is it about Batman that allows him to be such a politically charged figure, I guess? Or at least allow his movies to be a vehicle for such strong political messages? I,
2: th- I think it's because, and this is a, sounds like a generic answer, but of all the superheroes, Batman is, like, the most human you know he's he's literally just a guy i mean yeah he's an obscenely wealthy guy but he's a guy and you can craft pretty much anything onto that you know other you know the marvel got heroes they all have distinct powers that you have to fit into their story and batman you can sort of just mold to fit what you need him to fit because he is just you know he's a guy you just need to have him have him you know have that suit and those gadgets and you can pretty much do whatever you want with him and that's kind of why i love batman because any Batman can be Batman, you know. Even I know there are people who only want Batman to be dark and gritty, but you can really all the Batmen are, are valid in in my mind. Even the even the campy Adam West era, like they all count. Especially as Adam
3: West. Yes. Especially yeah. Adam
1: West. That's why I love Batman too, Chris. He's my yeah. favorite hero. He's just he he is just a guy, and he's a guy who has honed himself into the perfect perfect weapon in a lot of cases, and that's why a lot of people. Uh, admire him so much is that he's he's the perfect specimen for humanity but i think at the same time it's in his resilience and in his uh, in his uh just determination to make himself that way that is more admirable than actually being the world's greatest detective or the the dark knight or anything like that it's it's what he how he became that it's a, uh,
3: it's a, it's a steadfast it's a steadfast refusal to give in to his worst impulses and that's what this movie's about it's about batman realized about bruce wayne and batman realizing oh there is a line we're on the verge of crossing it we can't cross that and i it's so funny that uh the defenders of Zack snyder's dc movies have gone on at length about how oh it's a movie about bruce wayne's redemption him learning uh you know uh how, how to be a symbol of hope and yet that's never actually in those movies it's just people Applying it from a distance, whereas the Batman is actually about that and does it well and does it without any any clutter or mess.
1: And he uses biblical en- imagery better than Zack Snyder ever did. And we you how don't this
0: is—I oh, was pardon. just going to say—you don't see Robert Pattinson uh, literally branding anyone with a bat symbol <laughs> <laughs> in this movie. So you know, there's there's that too. But go Can ahead. Matt Reeves is clearly an Adam
3: West fan because not only did our own uh, Brad Oman write an article they broke down all the Easter eggs in the film, and there are so many references to 1960s Batman, but just the image of Batman showing up on a on, on a on a crime scene and like hanging out with the cops and like solving crimes, like being sure with Gordon. The idea of the, the Riddler and the Joker essentially teasing a team up at the end is gritty and as noir as all of this is. This really feels like the universe of the Adam West series in terms of how – in terms of the rules and relationships. It's, it's just serious instead of comedic. I, I, that tickles me to no end.
1: It takes itself hmm, – this might be the worst. Not a good way of saying it, but it t- it t- treats everything with a sincerity, this heightened, silly comic booky world with a sincerity and a seriousness that hasn't really been afforded even in – Marvel movies where this is sort of par for the course. They like, they always try they always do a wink and a nudge at the camera, but here it's treated with such sincerity. Um that I don't think I've seen since the Sam Raimi movies, honestly.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because like the the Nolan movies would be like the the paragon of like uh stripping away all of all, essentially all of the fun from a super I mean, I, I love the Dark Knight, but like uh stripping away all of the the sort of goofiness from the inherent comic book. Of, of these uh, source material kind of things. And this movie sort of has its cake and eats it too, where it like it, it does the dark and gritty thing, but it also has a little bit of a... It, it doesn't wink at you, but it, it sort of embraces the, the sort of ridiculousness of the whole thing. I mean, there are... Like some of the shots, if you were to... If Matt Reeves were to put the camera a little bit further back and just sort of give us a little bit more of a wider view... It could, it would maybe look a little bit ridiculous of like Robert Pattinson's Batman walking around in a crime scene with Gordon, but because the camera is so up close and it's so subjective and it's very much like in these different characters POV and like the storyline is so, um, uh, so tied to character, it feels important in a way that, um, that a lot of the, the other sort of goofier things don't necessarily have the the interest in, in dealing with, you know, it's like more, some of those goofier things are more interested in doing the wink than, committing to the narrative and i think this one uh walks that line really well
1: i mean his voiceover that that gritty noir voiceover ha- was basically made fun of just a couple of years ago in the lego batman movie mm-hmm. yeah uh, what was what was the opening line for that it was like darkness <laughs> I mean,
0: darkness no parents <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> yeah so real quick uh, a couple of things that didn't necessarily work for me um well, Jacob, you're talking about like the the real world uh, sort of components to this and the fact that Matt Reeves was working on this in 2017, I think is when he started on it. So I'm guessing the script probably came together somewhere around 2018. Um, Dave Chen, who hosts the film cast, a uh, friend of the, the site and you know, previously the Slash film cast, I mean, very much like a, a uh, notable figure in Slash film history, uh, wrote a really Good Twitter thread that I think I'll try to link to in the show notes about like the uh, opening or one of the opening scenes of this movie where Batman saves this guy, this Asian man from being brutalized in a subway station. Uh, and just like the idea of Matt Reeves writing that scene. And casting that guy and filming that, like before the sort of, um, I, I don't know what you would call it, the, like sl- uh, spate of just horrific anti Asian violence that has happened uh, really in like since in the past couple of years, like since the pandemic began, uh, is something that didn't necessarily sit well with Dave. And I, it, it, I don't know if I would go as far as to say like it, uh, it didn't work for me, but it definitely like, raised my hackles a little bit when I was watching it. I was like, oh, this is uh, this is charged imagery that Matt Reeves is working with here.
1: Can I say something as an Asian woman?
0: <laughs> Please do, yes.
1: Um, this might get me some angry emails or something, but I – oh, God. I'm I going to regret saying this. <laughs> uh, I, I noticed this imagery when I watched it, and I thought, huh, interesting. But I thought nothing more of it because I don't think that was the intent behind this scene. And honestly, I don't think it's that deep not to minimize everything that has happened and everything that is happening currently and everything that I think is still not being reported on as much and is still an extremely real and important issue. I just I don't think that this is part of the imagery of the movie of this movie or it shouldn't be part of the discourse around this movie at all, and I think it's just trying to make something out of something that isn't there. But okay. anyways, yeah, that's just my thought. Yeah, so <laughs> the
0: only other two things that didn't necessarily work for me were um some of the fight scenes I thought were like a little hazy. Uh I couldn't really see exactly what was going on and this is something that I guess is is sort of par for the course when it comes to Batman stuff. You go back and try to watch some of the fight scenes from the Christopher Nolan movies, especially Batman Begins. It's like what what on earth is even happening here? Um but especially the editing with the Batmobile chase scene. I remember watching that in the theater a couple nights ago and just being like okay, what is the geography going on here? I mean, I, I liked the way that the sort of vis- visceral nature of how it was shot, where it sort of felt like GoPro cameras were mounted to the outside of the thing and like uh, the vehicles were like spinning around and jumping through fire and all of it like looked cool. But there were some moments where, I don't know, some vehicles got twisted and flipped and started blowing up. And I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm a little lost in the scene here in terms of like where where things were coming from, where they were. I, I think some of the, the action in the film, just broadly speaking, could have been, um, uh, not, maybe not choreographed better, but like executed better, like, a uh, portrayed better, um, in a, in a more geographically clear sense. Did anybody else, uh, have that sense or am I just off base here? You're, you're
3: not wrong. The, the, the action is definitely secondary to Reeves's other intentions. I think it's very, very telling that the evocative atmospheric moment before the chase were the, batmobile's engine revs in the darkness and its jet engine back fires up and it, it, you can feel your bones shaking uh and you like you can feel the terror of this muscle car from hell appearing out of the shadows that's where matt Reeves' heart is in that kind of stuff and not in the actual car chase that follows mm-hmm. so, like you're not incorrect but at the same time i feel like there i feel like the, the action gets the job done whereas i'm coming and staying for uh, the evocative, atmospheric, noir tinge, nightmare stuff that Matt Reeves really likes. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think a lot of it is purpose- purposefully obscured in a lot of ways. Like a lot of the shots in this car chase in particular are, are filmed uh, through the mirror, the car mirror, or mm-hmm. through very, like uh, halfway through a window and everything. It's uh, very which claustrophobic. I think, yeah, very claustrophobic, which I think adds to the whole thing. I really enjoyed it the first time around. I was just like whooping and hollering the entire time. But <laughs> the second time around, as I was actually trying to get a handle on the action, I was like, huh, I can't really see anything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about Robert Pattinson. One of the big standout th- aspects of this movie, like I got one of my big talking points coming out of this is like, I was just shocked at how little Bruce Wayne there was in the film. Um, they mentioned at one point, I think he goes out to the the funeral of the mayor or something and, or one of the assassinated figures early on in the film. And somebody made makes some comment about like, Oh, you're more reclusive than I am or something. And like this, this brought you out of your, out of your hole basically. Um, and you know, he, he, Bruce Wayne barely factors into this movie, which is kind of an interesting decision because I, most of what we talk about when we talk about Batman is the balance between Bruce Wayne and Batman. And like, th- there's a, a moment where, uh, Paul Danos, the Riddler says to him from behind a glass wall, like, you know, I see you, he's, he's wearing his bat suit and he's like, this is the real you, you know, they, th- these are conversations that we've had about masked heroes for a long time. Um, but the fact that you don't really get the the sort of billionaire playboy uh, angle of Bruce Wayne is just really interesting to me in this movie it's a it's a bold choice. Uh, it's year two. so I guess the maybe maybe the reasoning behind it would be like he's more of an obsessive character at this point where he's just like deep into year two of this Gotham project that it, I think it, it's referred to as um where he's just he's still working on being Batman and like maybe he doesn't have enough time to. Uh, go out and sort of cultivate that side of his personality. And maybe he doesn't um, realize that he could use that as a, another um, piece of his arsenal, like the the Bruce Wayne uh, persona, like can be just as much of a weapon for Batman as a Batarang or something if he use, utilizes it correctly. And, uh, and And none of that is in this movie. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Anybody else have any thoughts about that?
1: I love this half-baked Bruce Wayne because he is someone who is completely Batman at this point. His his Bruce Wayne or who, whatever is left of Bruce Wayne has been subsumed by the Batman persona, that that grief, that rage, that vengeance that drives him to go out into the city every night and try to hold back the, the criminal element uh, just by his lonesome. And he is so blind to the fact that this this you know, one man vendetta uh, is not really really doing much and that it actually is kind of – it might be hurting people around him, uh, that he hasn't been able to have that divide yet between his personalities and have a healthy work-life relationship. <laughs> so um, I absolutely love Sad Boy Batman. I absolutely – I love the fact that his – Bruce Wayne persona has not yet been developed, that he's early on. He feels like a much rawer version of of Batman than we've ever seen. And in that case, I think that he's the most relatable Batman we've ever seen. He's, you know, the Bruce Wayne is not there yet. I did write a whole piece about this on SlashFilm.com. <laughs> uh, and um, I I stand by it. I, I love him and his tiny little sunglasses just cringing around, cringing away from the sunlight in his giant mansion. Um, and I think that really solidifies bat and sin for me are bats as one of my favorite batmans my cinematic batmans at least i've seen just because he's been so consumed by the batman here um and the whole movie is about that arc of him trying to of him realizing that if he lets his vengeance quest consume him, uh, consume him anymore he could become someone like the riddler or mm-hmm. like the riddler's goons when one of the riddler's goons uh answers i'm vengeance he realizes that this could be the path that he goes on and um once I'm sure, in the next movie, we'll see the, Bat, the Bruce Wayne persona uh, emerge more. But here, this is him realizing that he needs to have that division and he needs to bring himself a little bit more into the light. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going long again. Okay, continue. No, that's great. I
3: mean, there, then- there's so much Batman in this movie. I mean, like, so much Batman. Batman is the lead character here, not Bruce Wayne. That's so interesting to me because I was expecting to be, you know, 15 minutes of Batman and you know, two hours of Bruce Wayne, which kind of seems to be the, the standard for a lot of previous Batman movies where, you know, he puts on the suit for action scenes where he does everything else you know, out of costume, where here, there are major character moments, major plot moments, major like emotional moments where Robert Pattinson is wearing the cape and the cowl, and I was wondering why I thought Pattinson was so compelling in these scenes, more so than I think Christian Bale or even Michael Keaton, and uh, uh, Deshaun Thomas, one of our writers, wrote an article about little things that, that she loved about the Batman, and she pointed this out because I certainly would not have noticed this, which is that Previous Batman have all worn the eye shadow around their eyes, like Pattinson does here. Even though it's the first one we see him so still wearing it with a mask off, and but previous bat costumes have all been sort of a a flat uh, matte black, whereas uh, Robert Pattinson's uh, Batman costume has a, a a shiny reflective leather, and the combination of the shiny leather with the eye shadow allows Pattinson's eyes to register in a way that uh, other actors simply have not been able to because of the use of material in the Bat costume combined with the eye shadow. And so I'm not saying that Robert Pattinson's Batman is, you know, I don't think Robert Pattinson's better acting Christian Bale. I think they're both tremendous. But but I I am saying that the costuming choices uh, seem to have taken into account the fact that there's a lot more Batman here and that Robert Pattinson needs to be able to bring serious soulful eyes and emotion to batman in his many many batman scenes so i think in terms of actual batman on screen i think pattinson is my favorite one simply because he has the most to do as a character as batman i think it's a tremendous performance
0: yeah chris any thoughts on uh Battenson?
2: i mean yeah i don't have much more to add i i uh, uh I, I think this is a great performance um Uh, everything Robert Pattinson does here is just very interesting. It's just so different than what we're used to. Like even like, yeah, we've had, you know, growly Batman before and stuff like that. But what he's doing is, is much different than what we've seen. He's just playing him as a lot weirder and a lot stranger than, than what we usually get. And I love that weird paleness he has. He just, he's just sort of like, just like, I don't know. He's just, he's, he's so um, bogged down by, by, tr- you know, trauma and what he's been doing for the last two years that he doesn't really have a personality. And I kind of love that about this. I love how, how sort of like, he's still just being molded and formed as he goes along. And I like that Batman has an arc here, which is something we don't really get a lot in Batman movies. It's usually the arc is he becomes Batman and that's really it. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, it is a whole arc of him learning to let more people into his, his little world. Like, you know, the early scenes where, where, where Batman is flash Bruce Wayne is, is interacting with Alfred, probably Andy Circus they really took me off guard at first because Batman's like really, really rude to Alfred in his early scenes. And we usually don't get that. You know, there's usually a really warm relationship between those two. And I was like, damn, why is Batman such a jerk to Alfred? And, you know, they actually expand on that where, you know, Alfred almost dies and, and Bruce admits that, you know, he, has been keeping Alfred at arm's length because he doesn't want to get close to people because, you know, the, the people he was closest to his parents, Uh, were killed, and he doesn't want to let anyone in, and he's realizing, you know, it it took Alfred almost getting blown up for him to realize, like, oh, I actually do have people in my life I care about, and, you Mm -hmm. know, he has that also, he starts to develop that with Selina, and, you know, I I just really like that we get to watch Batman grow beyond just being Batman, and that's really... uh, You know, again, I like pretty much all the other Batman movies, but I don't think any of them, except maybe Batman Mask of the Phantasm, uh, Mm
1: -hmm. really have
2: that that sort of Batman arc. And even that Batman Phantasm is really about him becoming Batman. So really, this is the only one where the arc isn't just I have to become Batman. It's more about who he is as Batman, who he becomes and who he can become. And I I just think that really sets him apart from. The other Batman.
1: It's his Spider-Man 2 Existential crisis.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that that will translate, or, or sort of a trans, serve as a good, a good uh, transition point into some of our favorite moments because. For me, I absolutely loved the opening section of this movie with that um, voiceover narration where he's talking about fear, and you see the bat signal and the effect that that has on the criminal element in Gotham, and how people just see it in the sky and like drop their graffiti, you know, their spray paint cans, and just like run away, and they're just like terrified of like all of the the sort of gaping maws of darkness that uh, that sort of are populating all of these different areas of Gotham, and I loved like just the, um, you know, I think. Batman Begins is a movie that is very much about weaponizing fear as a thing. I mean, there's like a toxin that does that in the movie. And um, still, even with the existence of Batman Begins, I don't think a Batman movie has captured that sense of um, how scary Batman is to the criminal element as the opening scene of this movie did. And it's one of those things that sort of like makes you or made me anyway like pump my fist a little bit of like, oh man, yeah, this is like really cool. Like I love that shot. I mean, Chris, you described it so well in your review of him like coming out into that onto that uh subway platform as if he's just like this demon from hell, just like, you know, his his boots, boots are stomping. Boots yeah. I, like, love I love that. I, mean, I like... love that.
1: I love that. Like, even like, though
2: they do do the, you know, Batman disappears thing, I love that you actually see Batman, like, show up here. I think that's such a cool idea, where he's just like, yeah. I'm here, like, oh, right.
0: Yeah, and and so, like, seeing that, it's, it's such a cool thing. And then he beats the shit out of the guy, and maybe he goes a little bit too far, and you realize, like, okay, this all looks cool, but people actually do have a reason to be scared of this guy, because, oh yeah, Batman, uh, historically, is a kind of unhinged character. He's this billionaire who goes out and, you know, uh, beats the shit out of people and, the night and um so the idea that like this movie sort of uh sets you up to uh to like it you know it's it's very subversive in that way not not only in the way that it sets you up to like the violence and then sort of makes you feel bad about liking it but then also that arc that you were talking about chris of of the movie shifting from batman learning to that instead of leaning on fear he has to lean on hope and he has to lean on inspiring people instead of just scaring people into submission. AC you're like a huge Batman fan. You know uh, uh, you know you, you've watched Teen Titans and all these different like Batman iterations that I have not really dabbled in at all. Mm-hmm. Is there another version of Batman that that like actively leans on hope in this way? I mean, I, maybe aside from Adam West cuz that the entire tone of that whole thing was just like way different than all of the other Batman, but do you know what
1: I'm saying? Honestly, not really. It, yeah. Most other Batman um, iterations, even in the animated versions, are have never really embraced that hope uh, factor, that idea that he can be a leader into this new tomorrow t- kind of thing. That's always been Superman's job. Uh, and I think that's honestly like borderline revolutionary for the Batman, that, that this can be this version of the Batman, that he, can't, he doesn't have to be just vengeance and terror. Uh, he can also be hope like we're talking about like does it fundamentally
0: break the character though like jacob do you have any any thoughts on that because that's that's so um not what we've seen batman do i mean it sort of it almost goes against the entire um impetus of like what he's doing like the entire dressing up as a bat to scare people kind of thing this idea of like him learning a lesson at the end of this movie i love because it gives you that arc that that chris and, and you jake were talking about earlier but like what is the future of this version of the character look like if he realizes that hope is more important than fear.
3: I mean, you can still be scary to the criminals, but it inspire hope into people who are, who aren't criminals. I mean, Batman's still going to appear in the shadows and make criminal shit his pants. That, that's always going to happen. Uh, but now uh, a, a citizen can look and see the bad signal and say, Oh, things are a little better. Things are a little safer. Or somebody can smile uh, when, when they see, you know, the, the bat, uh, the evidence of Batman having been there. I, I, I think that, uh, I think that the idea of. For me, Batman is always about evil should be afraid of good. Good is more powerful. And I think that's mm-hmm. the angle that I should be taking here is that why should good be afraid? There are more of us.
0: Let's rise up together. And that's kind yeah, of what think I got. Going back to that um, that uh, Asian guy who was saved by Batman in the beginning of the movie, he he says like after Batman like basically beats the shit out of all these guys and a couple of them run away. The guy himself, the the victim of this mugging, is laying on the ground and he says directly to Batman like, "Please don't hurt me." Like it's clear that this citizen is scared of Batman as well and he was doing nothing wrong in this situation. So, so I think that's and, a good representation. Of what and you're then it
1: about. ends with him uh, with a woman on, on the helicopter grabbing his arm and him gently like touching it and yeah it back and it's it's great. Um, I don't think that an aspirational quality to Batman uh, goes against his character. I think that it's a, such an interesting new layer um, and I think that there has been an aspirational quality before <laughs> actually going back to what Jacob was saying with the Adam West. Batman, who had, you know, a line with the mayor uh, to his house. And um, yeah, maybe maybe that's what we're coming back to. Maybe that's what Matt Reeves is bringing us back to.
0: <laughs> All right. So anybody else have any other favorite moments? Those are some of mine. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys. I just
2: – I love every – Every Batman Gordon moment, I really love because they're like buddies. They're just like hanging out. I, Best I love that
1: around Gotham.
2: Yeah, I love that Gordon is constantly just calling him man. I think that's like <laughs> so funny for some reason. I don't know why. He's just. Like there's that part where Batman is looking at the bat in the cage. And he's like, I don't think that thing likes you, man. Just like, I was like, ah, Do you funny. think it's a capital M, man? Like it's short. I, yeah, he's I'd a like man.
1: Because yeah. like, you probably think, oh, it's so stupid to call him Batman. I'm just going to call him man. This, it's his last. <laughs> he thinks his
2: first name is Bat and his last name is Man. <laughs> Mr. Man. Um, but no, like, and I just love how cool Jeffrey Wright is as Gordon. He's just like, he's got this really cool sort of. He just seems like a cool guy. and I really like that rapport he and Batman have. And the interplay between Batman and Gordon is actually really funny, too. I've seen a lot of people say this movie is humorless, which, no, it absolutely is not. There's a lot of funny stuff in this movie. It's just not that. And I don't want to keep harping on Marvel, but it's, you know, that's what we're stuck with. We have so much Marvel and, like. Marvel movies are very quip heavy with their humor to the point where it's like obnoxious. They're just constantly quipping even like in the middle of things where like that should be really serious. They're always just like throwing out quips and this movie doesn't do that. It has more subtle low key humor, but it's very funny and pretty much every almost every Batman Gordon scene is just very amusing. Just The way they interplay with each other and like there's that scene where Batman gets knocked out and he wakes up in the police station and Gordon is, like, whispering to him how to escape. And, like, that's just very amusing to me. And it's just, like, every scene they share is just, it just feels like a real partnership more than almost any Batman-Gordon relationship mm-hmm. before. I think, that, like, the, the Dark Knight trilogy came pretty close with giving Gary Oldman a lot to do. Mm-hmm. But even that wasn't as, they weren't as close as they are here, where they, they share, like, a bunch of scenes together. They're They're, like, partners, basically, just, like, showing up to, to crime scenes and, and hashing it out together. And I, mm-hmm. I like he basically Gordon is, is like the Watson to, to Batman Sherlock Holmes here. And I, I really dug how they did that. Yeah. yeah I I wanted, I mean, top dynamic yeah. of
1: them. I'll talk about
3: uh, a character we haven't talked about yet. Um, that is uh, Paul Dano as a Riddler. I'll talk about two scenes from him that I really, really loved. Uh, first, a funny one uh, where we see his final video to his followers. We have 500 followers <laughs> on some <laughs> social media service, like hidden away. And, the Riddler in full costume, uh, thanking everybody for their comments and like his <laughs> followers, was just so darkly funny. Like you, you, just, you, just If you've ever seen even seconds of like, alt-right YouTubers, you, you, like the, the Riddler is such a scathing and accurate takedown of that type of YouTuber, except he's a freaking Riddler. And I find that so funny. I mean, it's dark as hell, but it's so funny. So I'll, I'll credit to Paul Dano for pulling off that very specific you know youtuber vibe that i thought I, I i loved it but also the big confrontation scene between batman and the riddler where the riddler is captured and they talk to her between between glass and we learn uh, two things happen in rapid succession that i think are i thought that i thought were incredible incredible pieces of, of writing and performance which is first the riddler uh Seems to think Batman is Bruce Wayne. He keeps on saying Bruce Wayne over and over again. And you can see it in Rob Pattinson's posture, in his eyes, and the way he's carrying himself, uh, that the jigs up, I've been caught. And then the Riddler eventually reveals that he t- he's talking about Bruce Wayne, not addressing Bruce Wayne. And it's and this the, the change in Batman, the change in the atmosphere, the change in the performance alone from Pattinson, sells the relief of him realizing he's not caught in a way that I found incredibly tense and satisfying like people throw around hitchcock a lot like oh that's hitchcockian oh that was actually genuinely a hitchcockian moment of suspense where uh the bomb doesn't go off the bomb remains you know clicking away someday somebody may figure out who bruce wayne is and and who batman is but not today uh the moment right after that though uh equally good where the, the 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 riddler thinks batman's on his side thinks they've been partners all along and is so upset upset driven Mm to tears and rage that batman is not at his side i genuinely love this scene i think that paul dano uh does so much with only a few key scenes as a riddler
0: yeah man that scene where he's just like yeah losing his mind and like this is not the way this was supposed to go like yeah all of that oh so so good um hj any favorite moments from you
1: i like all the moments where it was very obvious that batman was a virgin
3: <laughs> <laughs> Have you written this article yet,
1: <laughs> No, but I did tweet it, and it has 1,000 likes. <laughs> um, I'm Batman's a virgin, guys. And Selena Kyle is his first crush. And um, I loved – we haven't talked at all about Selena Kyle, who I think Zoe Kravitz does an incredible job, and she is just a wonderful addition and part of this movie. If we're going to talk about the Gordon-Batman um, dynamic, I think that she – Catwoman actually has something to do too in this movie, which I think is really refreshing. She's more than just the femme fatale who flits in and out. She gets to be, she gets to work with Batman in a lot of ways. Um, But I like whenever, uh, whenever Batman and and, uh, Selena Kyle are together, she's, you know, doing her thing. And he's very much trying to impress her the entire time. Um, Like he'll say like, oh, I don't know, like uh, during their, during the, the scene where she's infiltrating the club with the the contact lenses and mm-hmm. um, he's he's remarking on things that he's like, oh, I beat those two people up. And she just doesn't <laughs> respond. And um, uh, later on when he recognizes her her long lace-up boot on another woman, and immediately runs to her. And his just behavior every time she's around is, oh, my God, my crush is here it so, definitely is and there
0: are moments mm-hmm. where he's like standing off to the side too and he's like not saying anything and you get the sense that he's just like trying not to mess anything up yeah. or like say anything dumb
1: reduced to wordlessness by Zoe Kravitz which fair uh, yes. and then later on when, when he's replaying that clip of of uh, Selena taking the contact lens out over and over again for no reason either like you don't need to replay that clip it's just the same thing she's just rejecting you and Alfred <laughs> says oh new friend he's like grumble grumble leave me alone Alfred <laughs>
0: Oh man. Yeah. Zoe Kravitz is so freaking good in this movie. I mean, this is like where the Chinatown element comes in. And and I think you're right, see There's there's so much more than just like um, you know, Catwoman historically has played off of Batman in really, really interesting ways. Uh, I think Batman Returns is probably like the peak of that, um, maybe even still, maybe even after this this movie, um, taking all of it into account, that still may be like the, the sort of platonic ideal of what a, a Batman-Catwoman relationship can be. But this is still so freaking good. And Pattinson and, and Kravitz have such great chemistry together. And the, the, um, the way that uh, like both of their characters are... Um, are tied by this, this trauma like that. I feel like the idea, and we may have written about this on a site, somebody, somebody may have written a feature about this already, but like the idea of trauma has become such a, um, such a buzzword in, uh, pop culture proper properties over the past few years that, uh, it kind of loses all meaning at a certain point. Like we're, we're so inundated with it that like, you just kind of roll your eyes sometimes and be like oh another another trauma narrative like great i haven't seen this since last week kind of thing but this one the, the way that it's done it, in this movie the the um the real loss the sense of loss that that is palpable from uh from batman's character and then also this like uh burning rage and also sense of loss and like the that that bubbles up within catwoman like she has this relationship with her mom who was murdered and then also her best friend who and roommate who's been and love interest is is uh, has also been murdered here and like he, just those scenes where she plays the the voicemail and you get to hear her friend being strangled and that's the same way that her mom was killed and then it turns out Bruce's parents were killed also by the same person i mean they share so much there's so much like thematic interconnectivity there that um that is all based in trauma, but doesn't feel exploitative or like uh, the trauma of the week. If that makes any sense,
1: yeah. It's I think the it helps connect th- connected tissue t- between them, like the kind of uh, the bond between two fell- similarly wounded souls. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I, I think
2: it helps. It like the movie isn't constantly being like this is about trauma, which is what <laughs> it feels like so much stuff does now. Yeah, and yeah, I just I just love that. I'm I'm a sucker for the Batman Catwoman relationship, and it works so well here. Uh, like there's there's this one shot where it's like the it's like sunset and they're up on that that building where the bat signal is and they're in silhouette and they kiss and i was just like oh this is such a good movie i was just like (laughs) just like sighing contently just like at that imagery of them just smooching against the skyline it's just such a, a great iconic for lack of a better word uh you know batman catwoman imagery and they go so well together everyone here is really i I don't think there's like a a wrong note in this cast honestly Every colin farrell great i know some people have a problem with him being buried in makeup i love it please i love when actors just bury themselves in goofy makeup just for the hell of it it's cool i love it yeah and, jared uh,
0: Lotto is chris's favorite actor so. yeah i love it
2: i love it when he turns into super mario <laughs> it's, in it's the gucci me. movie jared Leto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I every i don't think there's like anyone in this movie where i can point to a performance and be like yeah, it didn't work they all work on their own john totoro is so good here giving like the most subtle performance in the movie which works really well because it makes him like 10 times scarier. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've never been scared of John Totoro before, but he's really, he's legitimately scary in this movie because of the way he plays this character. He plays this mob boss as almost likable at first. Like that, that scene at the, at the, the funeral and the, that first scene where, where Bruce comes to him and he asks him about his father. He's kind of a likable guy. Like he, we know he's a bad guy, but it's like, I oh, doesn't seem so bad. Then you start hearing, you know, the this this audio of him strangling women to death with, mm-hmm. with pool sticks and it's like Jesus Christ, this guy is is terrifying. And yeah. There's I, this I...
0: tiny moment where he, wa- where that scene where, where Bruce walks into that cool, like uh, villain layer where they're playing pool. And if you listen really closely, you can hear him. Uh, I think his name is Carmine Falcone. You can hear him talk to his little goons and he's like, you know how much this sweater costs? It's like $1,100. something yeah. like, they're just talking about like little nonsense. And that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Where are just like, Oh yeah, I kind of like this guy. Like he, you know, he's a little ridiculous. He's a little fun or whatever. And then he, he like fits in this world. Well, and then, yeah, you, you this sort of curtain gets pulled back and you're like, oh, Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah. And it's like, he ends up being almost scarier than the Riddler. Cause the Riddler is, you know, unhinged to begin with. We, we, it's like, all right, he's unhinged. And the way they slowly reveal how insidious Falcone is and how he's, you know, essentially the big bad who's, who's running everything behind the scene is so well done. And so, uh, it just it it's just a, a satisfying payoff in a way that i was not really expecting. Like, i honestly expected john Tatura to be sort of like a minor player here in the movie like in the background and he actually ends up being tied to like everything and i just thought that was really interesting.
0: yeah. so uh, there are two more bullet points that i wanted to get to today but i don't think we have time to get to both of them. one of them is just the future of the batverse and uh, just in in um i guess in the the uh, to, to keep things brief, I'll just say really quickly that I've read a lot of interviews, and I think we've written about this, uh, where Matt Reeves has talked at length about the appearance of the Joker in this movie and how it's, it's he was actually not uh, meant to be a sort of a Dark Knight-esque or, or Batman Begins-esque setup for the next movie kind of thing. Like he has said on record several times, like, I don't even know if the Joker is going to be in the next movie. This, that was, this is not a like... Come back next time to see the full story, kind of thing. It was like there was a deleted scene, so I'll, I'll link to the, some of those articles in the in the uh, show notes so you can read uh, more about that. And then, um, but I, I wanted to wrap this up. I know we're we're running low on time here. I just want to go around the circle and see where this movie, The Batman, ranks on your uh, individual personal scales of theatrically released bat films. Um, so, Jacob, where does this stand for you?
3: Uh, I feel really bad because recency bias is a very real thing with movies but looking at the list i think it edged out the dark knight for me this has it's everything i love about the dark knight but fixes the things that drive me crazy about that movie i think that i don't know my, my top three are dark knight batman 66 and the batman <laughs> the idea of my of the range of which i like my batman so <laughs> yeah uh, maybe my favorite we'll see how i feel in a year but right now i feel like this may be the best one ht what about you
1: Ugh, don't make me do this. <laughs> um, actually, of all of these theatrical release ones, I have not seen Batman sixty six. That's the only one. Um,
0: I think you would really like it. You'd you, 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 would you would like have a blast, it. HD.
1: Um, I think this is in my top three. At least it's also above The Dark Knight. But surprise, The Dark Knight is actually not one of my fa- not my favorite Batman movie. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say number three, but a vague number three. <laughs> you won't know what my top ones are.
0: <laughs> okay, Chris. What about you? Yeah,
2: man, it's tough because my knee-jerk reaction is like it's this one, but I I I worry that is recency, recency bias and just like ah, I just saw it. it, but this is definitely yeah in my top three. I mean, Batman eighty nine I will always have a soft spot for because that's the movie that's the first movie I remember seeing in the theater. It's not the first movie I actually saw in the theater. But it's the first one I remember seeing as a kid when it came out in 1989, which tells you how old I am. Um, (laughs) uh, But I just remember it being such a huge goddamn deal when it came out and just being like, holy shit. Uh, So that's always going to be special to me. I love Batman Returns because it's so kinky and weird. Uh, I really like the Dark Knight. I really like the Dark Knight Rises. I know a lot of people don't love that one. I love that. But this is this is so such a a damn good movie. So it's, it's definitely top three or four, probably for me too
0: yeah my top three is the same as Jacob although the order is a little switched so I would still say the dark Knight is number one just because I think HCI I felt that lag a little bit in the the Batman's runtime that mm-hmm. three hours it kind of like there are some moments where it it uh it sort of sags a little and I'll actually need to watch it again to like really be able to pinpoint exactly why that happens because I was just sort of um letting it wash over me the first time um but yeah I would say the dark Knight for me is number one the Batman is number two and then Batman sixty six is my personal number three so uh just to to sort of uh, give everybody a, a sense of where we stand in the, in the bat universe. Um, so yeah, if any other uh, closing thoughts before we wrap things up here, guys, I know we, we got to get back to work, but I um, <laughs> just wanted to, uh, to open the floor real quick. One last time.
1: Batman rules.
0: Yeah. The Batman rules. Oh, we didn't talk about the score. Oh my God. Oh, ah! wow. Wow! Real quick, we're, real quick. We're, we're a bunch of idiots. Holy crap.
2: <laughs> oh, my so good. Such a good score. Uh, the way it uses uh, the Nirvana song, something in the way, and the way it's just, big and loud and and just rumbly. I mean the Dark Knight score is phenomenal. Dark Knight Rises score is actually even better, but this is so goddamn good and and uh I don't know. It's just ominous and and booming and just right from the start, when you start hearing those notes that are taken from something, the way I was just like, "Oh yeah, this is gonna be good." And, I just, and the
0: Ave Maria, I just, yeah. Ave Maria, Maria it all, all too, and, too, and freaking Paul Dano like singing that at the very yeah. end of the movie too. It's just like, "Oh man, I love the way that, that how that was just like so um, organically uh, woven throughout the, this whole like yeah like gothic score." So so good.
1: I will say uh, I love this score and I'm a Giacchino's stand for life, but the Batman theme does kind of sound like the Imperial March.
0: Interesting. Okay, I hadn't really picked up on that. I don't. To... I don't hear that HD. I don't hear it.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. I'll have to compare. Listen to it again. <laughs>
3: okay. Uh, Jacob, any closing thoughts from you? the husband was great. Like, I, we, so often people complain about you know blockbuster culture, you know, and things being the same. And I hope that Batman makes a billion goddamn dollars worldwide because it, w- it would reward a three-hour-long character-driven noir. Yeah, I, I, and you know what I? We're going to have endless superhero movies, and I enjoy most of them I mean, more than most. I think I want to see more like this. I'm very greedy. I want, I want my I want my cinema. I want my superhero movies to be cinema. If not all, I don't want all cinema superhero movies, but I want all superhero movies to be cinema.
0: Yeah, well, well said. Well said. And also, just well like said. one last uh, hat tip to Matt Reeves, because I don't think we really talked enough about him here, and I think he is like a huge part of the reason for this movie working so well. I mean, if you go back and look at his filmography, he's, he's pretty unimpeachable at this point. And, um, I think he just, he cares a lot and you, you feel that in every frame. So, uh, yeah, more, more movies from Matt Reeves, regardless of what they are, please, because he's just, uh, he's on a hot streak right now. Uh, okay. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's show. I'm going to link to a few things in the show notes. Uh, but yes, you, you can, uh, listen to this podcast is published most of the time every weekday. I'm not sure what the rest of this week is going to look like because Peter's still out of town and uh, we're all busy and I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen with the with the remainder of the week but hopefully maybe I'll be able to come back at least one more time uh, to do a news episode or maybe a a mini water cooler or something like that but um, Slash Film Daily is usually published every weekday bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on Apple Google Overcast Spotify all the popular podcast apps send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time.